0: The Greek word for fish is ichthos. The town in Upper Michigan where I grew up had an important fishing industry centered on a harbor that was ice-free during the winter. Fishermen from the area would bring their catch to the Sioux Line Railroad Depot where my father was the station master for shipment to Chicago overnight. The fish was packed in big wooden crates filled with ice in the winter or fresh snow, ice in the summer, fresh snow in the winter. And when the train arrived, my dad would wheel out flatbed carts filled with these cases to the platform next to the tracks. The meltwater poured off in torrents and the reek of dead fish was overwhelming. I didn't know that Greek, the Greek word for fish was ichthos back then, but I was aware of the first syllable, ick, adequately described my whole experience. If you lived in Chicago in the 50s and 60s and if you ate whitefish, chances are my dad helped ship it. Lake Michigan, whitefish was a delicacy served in many classy restaurants. The fish may have been delicate, and the restaurants classy, but the men who caught them were neither. I'm not talking about the occasional sports fishermen like Ernest Hemingway who came up to our area to fish fly fly trout the big two-hearted river. I'm talking about the hard-living, hard-drinking, hard-working men who spent long hours bobbing up and down on Lake Michigan in all weather. One of those men who delivered fish to the station was named Cecil. He had a two-day's growth of beard, yellow teeth, where he had teeth, and smelled like a mixture of cheap whiskey and gasoline, and swore like a sailor. The words crude, vulgar, or hard-bitten were thankfully not in my vocabulary at that time. But if they had been, I would have tried them out on Cecil. I sometimes wonder if Peter, Andrew, James, and John were like that. Does it strike you as odd that Jesus would begin his public ministry by choosing these Galilean fishermen for disciples? I I can see that it doesn't. That may be because we don't know many people who fish for a living. But it seems to have struck some people as odd because there is a very strong element of apologetic in Matthew's account of the disciples' call. It's right there in the text from Isaiah that Matthew imports into his gospel passage. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, heathen Galilee, a people living in darkness have seen a great light. Galilee was not just a rebellious backwater Jewish province. It was surrounded by and populated with unclean pagans. This is why the key word in the quote from Isaiah, the word Matthew particularly wants us to get, is heathen Galilee. Those two words explain why Galileans are people living in darkness because they're living in a Gentile-ridden land. It explains why when the Pharisees hear that Jesus has claimed to be the Messiah and they ask, can any good come from Galilee? The major cities of Sepphoris and Caesar of Philippi were Greek-speaking. Language is the bearer of culture, and the fact that Greek was an important language meant that Greek culture with its pagan literature, its pagan lifestyles, its gods, and its temples were also there. The people of the covenant who lived in Galilee were those living in the land of the shadow of death. In other words, it was Sheol on earth, hell on earth. And for a Jew, it can't get any worse than that. The religious leadership in Jerusalem must have wondered why a man who claimed to be Messiah would have ignored Jerusalem in order to preach the gospel in Galilee. Deliverance was supposed to come from Jerusalem, not from Sheol on earth. This is probably why Matthew quoted the text from Isaiah in his call story. He's saying that Jesus' public ministry in Galilee was really in accordance with the scriptures. It is precisely to the Jews living in the spiritual shadowlands that the eschatological light of the Messiah will shine. When the kingdom comes, we find it in the most unusual places, even today. Epiphany was just two weeks ago or so, but it still lingers in the liturgical air. Christ is the light to both Jew and Gentile, a theme that will reappear in two weeks the Feast of the Presentation. And one more thing. If there was a question about why Jesus began his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles, imagine the shock that he took Galilean fishermen for his disciples. The words Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, translated into Greek is huius, Christus Theu, Jesus Christus Theu Soter. If you take each of those single words and take out the first letter at the beginning of the word, you get the anagram ichthos, fish. Apart from the cross, the fish symbol is probably the most ancient and recognizable symbol of Christian faith it dates predates 80 AD and probably even earlier did matthew know this if he did there is a hidden joke in the passage which we seldom ever get the joke is that these men whose lives evolved around catching fish are themselves caught by jesus of nazareth son of god Savior, the fishermen, the little fish, have been hooked by what Tertullian called the great fish, caught in the net of the gospel. We might not feel called to discipleship because Jesus never appeared and tapped us on the shoulder and said, Follow me. But on the day we were baptized, Christ drafted us for service in his church, and from that draft, There are no exemptions. Not because you're brilliant or because you're merely average. Not because you are a lawyer or a fisherman. Not because you're under 18 or over 60. You can dodge this draft, this call to be a disciple. But then you can't be Christ's. Because a part-time Catholic is a contradiction in terms.